Global Business News 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. From Bloomberg World Headquarters, I'm Charlie Pellet. Stocks do continue to trade little change. We have got 13 minutes to go ahead of the close here. Stocks have paired earlier losses amid light volumes. S&P 500 index down two points now, 2161. It is down by one-tenth of one percent. NASDAQ also declining one-tenth of one percent. Dow Industrials up 11 now, advancing seven-tenths of one percent. Dow could be on track for a record close. Tenure down 16.30 seconds, the yield 1.59%. Gold lower by 480 the ounce, down four-tenths of 1%, 13.27 on gold this Friday. Crude oil up six-tenths of 1%, 45.94 a barrel. I'm Charlie Pellet. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. You're listening to Taking Stock with Kathleen Hayes and Pim Fox on Bloomberg Radio. Oil and banks, you think they're connected? Well, they certainly are at Wells Fargo. Wells Fargo's energy loan losses rose in the second quarter as the oil bust claims several of the bank's clients, including Lynn Energy and Brightburn Energy Partners. To find out more, I want to bring in Mike Mattioli. He is a portfolio manager for Manulife Asset Management. He joins us from Boston. Mike, thanks very much for being with us. Thanks for having me. Let's go through some of the big banks that reported results today. Let's begin with Wells Fargo. Is it really all about energy? You know, based on the way the stock's trading today, it seems like it's all about energy. Um, when you just look at earnings and what they posted, it was, they came up a bit light because of those energy losses, um, and it's remaining a headwind to profit growth. But it's not all energy. If you listen to the management conference call, guidance on net interest income was a bit subdued, saying that, they could still grow net interest income even in a flattish NIM environment uh, because they're going to be growing core loans. But due to what's going on with interest rates, both on the short and long end of the curve, it's going to be pressured uh, a little bit. All right. Just to give you the numbers, net income down to $5.6 billion or a dollar one a share. That's from $5.72 billion or a dollar three a share a year earlier. And that did match the average estimates of analysts surveyed by Bloomberg. I thought that, more, that Wells Fargo was the mortgage banking king and revenue there declined 17%. Do you think we're going to get a wave of refinancings? Would that help Wells Fargo? It, it would certainly help. I was actually a bit surprised that we didn't see that come through. What we may be looking for in the third quarter is with the rates so low that the refi activity really does come up. So it would be interesting to see how uh, in the third quarter Wells Fargo is going to uh, capture that potential refi volume. All right. Well, total revenue rose about uh, 4%. That also was in line with uh, analysts' estimates. Wholesale banking down about 5.5%. And I'm wondering if you could contrast that with what you know about J.P. Morgan's results, which seem to focus a lot on cost cuts and trading revenue. It did. J.P. Morgan's earnings yesterday were pretty good. When you look at their strong uh, core loan growth up almost 16% year-on-year, they're compounding tangible book value. They're increasing capital return. Uh, you got better capital markets activity across the wide and diverse franchises um, across all their uh, across the holding company. It, it was very good. I mean, comparing, contrasting different banks' uh, earnings uh, just day over day, it's all the stocks are going to trade based on what people's expectations are when management comes out on a day like today uh, and sort of guides down a little bit on the net interest margin, it's probably going to hurt the shares, and that's what we're seeing here. Mike, I'm wondering if that is also uh, necessary for people to understand when they invest in, an, let's say, an exchange-traded fund that 
focuses on banks because not all banks are the same. You really just can't compare them as if they operate in exactly the same businesses. That's exactly right. So whether we're comparing J.P. Morgan, Wells Fargo, Citigroup, Bank of America, well, at the end of the day, all four of them are banks. They have many diverse and different businesses amongst each other. Think about Citigroup that has a larger presence outside of the United States. You think about Bank of America, which has a very large financial advisory business, and then even a company like J.P. Morgan that has asset management, investment banking, consumer and commercial loans, a trust bank in there. So they are very diverse. They're competing against each other. Um, So, you know, a bank isn't just a bank. It could be uh, a number of different things sometimes as well. All right, so let's talk about uh, Citigroup for just a moment. Uh, just uh, following up uh, on uh, Wells Fargo, shares are down uh, about two and three quarters of a percent. The shares of Citigroup down about three tenths of a percent. Citigroup lowered their forecast for margin growth. They did, um, but we have that baked into our numbers. So when you're looking at Citigroup earnings, one of the important things you want to watch for is the consumption of their deferred tax asset. It gets a bit complicated in terms of the accounting issues, but basically it helps them because there's less taxes that they have to pay against that as they earn money. Their tangible book value is growing. Uh, It's almost at $63.50 today. So that means you can buy the stock today for 70% of that tangible book value. Uh, When you're looking at capital levels, they're already well above minimums where they don't even have to meet them until 2019. So we like the value here quite a bit. Yeah, you say that it is a tremendous value uh, for investors. Uh, Citigroup shares right now trading at $44.35. They're down uh, $0.10. Cents. Uh, also with Citigroup, uh, they said that they have put a lot of resources to deal with the uh, inquiries and complaints from Costco wholesale customers because, you know, they took over as the retailer's exclusive credit card issuer last month. Are they going to be able to resolve these issues? Yeah, I, I think they will. You know, it, it's basic level blocking, tackling of running the call center for a card-type business. So they'll put the money and resources where to get uh, things right. Um, so I'm not really seeing an issue there. All right. They, they described a 5% jump in uh, company-wide uh, operating expenses. Uh, cost cuts, is that going to I mean we know that J.P. Morgan has certainly been focused on cutting costs. Is that something that all banks are just going to do from now on on a regular basis? You know, J.P. Morgan, I think, thinks about it the right way. When you go to or listen to their analyst day or investor day, they talk about continuing to invest through the cycle, not just blindly cutting costs, but investments that they make, say, five, six years ago are paying off today, and that never would have translated to revenue if they didn't make those investments. So I'm fine if they're not going to continually cut costs where it would actually help. Um, is if you actually get some interest rate rises and they could um, flow a lot of that uh, interest revenue down to the bottom line. Now, another bank that reported results was U.S. Bank Corp. Uh, tell me about them. The uh, shares are higher right now by one and a half percent. Stock has had a great week. I wonder if you could tell us what makes U.S. Bank Corp so good. Yeah, they're really known as one of the pristine banks, them and Wells Fargo. Just when you look at their return on equity or return on tangible equity, and that's just their net income over the equity that they're deploying into the business, they're always head and shoulders above uh, seem to be the rest of the banking sector. Part of it is a payment processing business that they have in there, which is extremely capital light, and it always tends to help them. And then they have tremendous underwriting. So when you look at the excess spread that they're earning minus their net charge-offs or the loans that they have to charge off that go bad, 
they tend to rank up uh, up there pretty high. And then management is, I mean, management's been been running the bank for quite some time. Anytime they do a deal, it's usually created up to shareholders. So you kind of think about that as a pristine bank. The thing is, though, when you look at comp them to the other ones in terms of price to tangible book value, they also seem to be um, uh, at a premium. At, at a premium. Uh, they pay a, a 2.4% uh, dividend. That's uh, U.S. Bank Corp shares are $41.85 right now, up $0.61. Cents. PNC Financial Services uh, Group, uh, they're based in uh, Pittsburgh, uh, a dividend of over 2.5%. What's your take on PNC Financial? You know, a bit more tilted towards the commercial side of the business. Um, when we were talking before about, you know, not all banks are just a bank, PNC tends to be, you know, your typical consumer uh, and commercial bank tilted more to the commercial side. You know, good bank, kind of think of it as a super regional, again, usually trades more at a premium than, say, the ultra mega caps would, the Bank of America, the Citigroups of the world, um, just because they, they won't, don't have to hold as much capital as uh, some of the bigger guys. PacWest Bank Corp. also reported second quarter results. They said that they earned $0.68 cents a share. The estimate was for $0.69 cents a share. The stock is lower. Net earnings decreasing, they say, due mostly to lower accretion on acquired loans and leases, as well as lower gain on sales of securities. Uh, tell me about PacWest Bank Corp., and they've got a dividend of nearly 5%. Yeah, that's right. They do. So one of the uh, nice things about not being an absolutely gigantic bank compared to, say, some of the C-card banks is you could pay out more of your earnings um, in form of dividends. So you could, you know, theoretically have a higher dividend yield in that. The thing that worries me about some of the regional banks compared to the bigger banks is the amount of cost that they're going to have to eventually scale through in terms of regulatory environment. So the amount of people that you have to hire, the amount of systems that you have to put in place, consultants, things like that, it could be a drag on earnings. So we're looking at the regional bank index, comparing it to the large cap bank index, and seeing the premium uh, and multiple points that you have to pay above that probably doesn't make sense in our view here. And you say that Citigroup is really in the compelling value, correct? Yeah, we think so. I mean, in our base case, and the way we do everything is look at a range of values. So our base case estimate is we think Citigroup's worth $75 per share. Now, in a worst-case scenario uh, where the net interest margin doesn't rise at all for the next five years, so a very pessimistic scenario, we get the shares worth intrinsically of only about $40 per share. Now, there's not much downside. There's quite a bit of upside. That's what we call a nice risk-reward. Um, so when you're buying a stock like that at, quote-unquote, value-type prices, it's you know, that's investing. That's that's what we think. That's what we're trying to do here. Well, thank you very much uh, for sharing that information. Mike Mattioli is a portfolio manager at Manulife Asset Management, talking about Citigroup. He says it is a real value. Shares of Citigroup, $44.36, down $0.08 cents a share. This is Taking Stock. We take you through to the close next, and this is Bloomberg. Bloomberg.